The following podcast may contain spoilers, profanity, and views or opinions that may not be representative of the author's intent of the articles discussed. We don't always take ourselves or the subject matter seriously either. Listener discretion is advised. The following is a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S.com. The Force is strong with us, and we hope it is strong with you. Welcome to another edition of the new Jedi Archives with Zach Hagenbusher and Ben Schultz. Well, hello, Zach. And hello, Ben. How are you this time? What time is it? <laughs> afternoon? I afternoon. Think. What? How are you this fine afternoon? I am doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. As you can probably hear, we are in the midst of yet another convention hall. Which convention is this? New Game of Palooza. Again, weren't we just here last year? We were. New Game of Palooza 2018. Here we were in- at 2017 last year, weren't we? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that should uh, go without saying. But it didn't. It didn't. Unfortunately, it did not. No. Uh, we want to thank you for listening to our show. Any way that you're listening to it, iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker.com, the original home. You can download the Spreaker app. That's a great way to listen to the show. Um, you can also check us out on GNCasts.com. We've been with GNCasts.com for over a year now. Wow. Wow. We didn't celebrate an anniversary. No, but... No, who cares? You should have bought a cake. I, I bought this convention table. Oh, okay. Is that enough? I guess. Okay, cool. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to hold that against anybody. Anyway, welcome to another edition of the New Jedi Archives. And this week, we're going to be talking about something that we has been building for a long time, I would say. Uh, we are finally going to finish our analysis of Star Wars Rebels for the time being. I um, thought you were going to say we were finished talking about Star Wars Rebels. I was going to say probably not. I said for the time being. For the time being. Uh, season four, the final season of the show, just finished up this past April, out on Blu-ray at the end of July. And Ben has finally had a chance to watch the entirety of the season and um, maybe develop some thoughts, right? Yes, I have developed thoughts. That is definitely true. Now, whether or not these thoughts are coherent... <laughs> or good. We're about to find out. <laughs> uh, as is custom, we're going to go over our five favorite episodes of the season in no particular order. In fact, we're just kind of going to... We're going to take them by the order they premiered. But okay. you can put any of these, you know, above the other. I guess that's up to you to decide. Um, our first favorite episode of the season was the season opener... Heroes of Mandalore. Now, even though this was two episodes, we're going to consider the arcs that they were telling, which that first two, the first two arcs of the season were technically considered one episode. It was part one and part two of them. So, so what you mean to say is the first two episodes of the season were one story. One story, yes. So, Heroes of Mandalore, um, picking right up where the last season left off, in a way. Uh, you know, we we had the. Um, the foreshadowing that there was going to be some more, some help, you know, or um, some work that Sabine had to do on Mandalore. Some some things she had to accomplish there. In fact, she was pulled away from that fight to go and help them at the end of Season 3 and Zero Hour. Right. And then 
Now she's returning to finish the job uh, of trying to drive the Empire away from her homeworld. Uh, and it's it's a very difficult task because they are using technology that she developed. The Duchess. The Duchess. Uh, Named after... Duchess Satine. Which does not make Satine's sister happy at all. Not at all. Uh, this weapon destroys particularly Mandalorian metal. It, Beskar, as it some would call super it. It superheats the Beskar element in Mandalorian armor, causing it to vaporize the person wearing it. Yes, and it is uh, terrifying. Right, if you a are a Mandalorian, technology. that is not good for you. It is crazy to me that Sabine would develop this technology. She must have... I mean, she was relatively young when she did it, when she came up with the idea. And I think that the only way that I can justify it in my mind of, of how she would come to this would be like, a, oh, I'm just looking for something that'll really impress my my tutor or my teachers or you know all the people at the Imperial Academy that well, she was developing. A- actually, this if you think about it, because I thought about this, the Mandalorians at the end of Clone Wars are not uh, are not the Mandalorians that we have come to expect. They're not the Mandalorians right. that we see. Okay, they're much more pacifistic, uh, or less, or at least reluctant to fight. Right. But Death Watch was not. Oh. So I think she may have developed this weapon in an attempt to stop rebels who were adhering to the old death cult or death cult death watch okay and that makes sense to me i that actually does make sense so i i'll give you that i never thought about that angle of it that she could have just been trying to prevent another death watch right and i think that's the only way that makes sense for sabine's character that that was the big fear that mandalorians had was a, another death watch springing up but it is ultimately that act of developing that technology that drives her away from the Empire and into the Ghost Crew. Well, because she realizes that they're testing it on Mandalorians. Right. Um, and now she's forced to confront that. She does wind up destroying her creation. Well, uh, she did before in her defense. She had destroyed the prototype and thought she destroyed the plans when she left. Oh, sure. Okay. Because they do discuss that. She didn't leave this weapon in the hand. Right. Or at least she didn't yes. think she did. But she now gets rid of it for good. Right. Uh, and in the process, Gar Gar Saxon. No, not Gar Saxon. Um, the other guy. Fenton. No, it is Gar Saxon, isn't it? I think it, well, it's a Saxon. It's whoever's in charge of Clan Saxon after. I think it's Gar Saxon. Yeah, Gar Saxon winds up uh, meeting his end in that battle. Very much so. Uh, and it's not Sabine. I think Sabine tried to spare him, and he winds up killing himself, right? Yeah, yeah, because Sabine doesn't kill anybody. She just she just fine-tunes the Duchess so that it hurts a lot. Yes, and she programs it against uh the plasteel and stormtrooper armor, which is a nice of the play. Beskar. Yeah, it it is a nice play. It's too bad they couldn't have kept that weapon around. <laughs> in that case, but but if it could be tuned, you know, from one armor to the other, it could always be tuned back. Right. So it was the right call to destroy it. Uh, and we'll talk about another major decision that she makes in this episode a little later on. But yeah, that was a I think a really well done 
Really well done arc. A great opener to the season. Gives everybody something to do. You know, a lot of action. And uh, overall, great job. Uh, second episode, In the Name of the Rebellion. Uh, now that, again, more of a story selection than an episode selection. This was the second arc of the season, and it followed Forrest Whitaker as Saw Gerrera, um, essentially kidnapping our heroes. Uh, well, you remember, for those of you who have been following along, Saul was uh, driven crazy previously by right. the rebellion. Yes, <laughs> that is true. Because he was left for two years on Geonosis. Yes. In a way. I don't know if I could blame it entirely on the rebellion. Well, I mean, he was nuts in the first place, but they left him there for two years. Yes. Um, he Before he takes Ezra and Sabine, there is a message that he, he gets, has direct communication with Mon Mothma. And they have kind of a, a war of words, if you will, over what is the best way to, to combat the Empire. And... It, it, I mean, there is no other way, no straight, more straightforward way to boil down the differences between the two, the two methods, um, than that conversation that they have. Uh, which is, it's great to have that stark contrast. And I don't think that Ezra, up until this episode, I think that Ezra saw, 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 right? He sees Saw Guerrera as someone who could still be used as an ally, who could still be. A worthwhile member of the fight. I think he still feels that way after that conversation for I, a little while, doesn't he? Because oh some, no, after that conversation, that's what, that's what I'm saying. Up until this point, like up until this well, arc, I think that oh yeah, up until this arc. Because right. I was going to say it's shortly after this conversation something occurred. We'll get to that. Yes, um, but they, I think he thought Saw could be a trusted ally, and after being kidnapped by him and eventually being stunned and well, he's not. They're in, not really kidnapped. Saw helps them escape. Well, sure, but instead of taking them back home, he says, you're coming with me on a mission. Right. The Empire shows up and he jumps away. Right. Convenient enough, right? Right. They, they, I don't think they wanted to go with him on that mission. Well, I don't think so either, but it, it's not that the Empire conveniently showed up so Saw didn't have to kidnap them. Sure. Because they could no longer transfer to the ghost. Right. Um... They uh, encounter another shipment of uh, kyber crystals. And correct me, you've, you've seen the episode more recently than I have. Um, I believe that Ezra and Sabine want to destroy the kyber crystals, right? I believe that's correct. And Saw wants to use them. I believe that is correct. But eventually they are destroyed because of the conflict, they're destabilized and they are just going they to explode. Right. Um, then there is a conflict over we need to go save these people versus we just need to get the hell out. And Saw gets the hell out. Right. I think that is the point where Ezra is like, no, that's not the way for me. Because before that, Ezra was really, we have to take the fight to the Empire. The Empire is bad people. We have to be willing to drop to their level to beat them. And he agreed with Saw in many, many ways. Yeah. And right there when he, when Saw is faced with risk my life to save others or flee to be sure I can fight the Empire, that's when Ezra's like, no, we're fighting to save people. 
You know, That's who we are. We're right. the good guys. Right. We're the good guys. We need to stay the good guys no matter what we're doing. And Saw's not willing to do that. Saw doesn't care if he's a good guy or a bad guy. He just wants to win. And Ezra, thanks to Kanan's teaching, realizes that the way you win is just as important as winning. Kanan and Yoda. Oh, yeah. yeah that's the advice that Yoda I don't want to give Yoda that. credit. Oh, come on. Anyway. <laughs> Little green bastard. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jedi Knight is the next episode that we selected. It is the the end of Kanan. It's a sad episode. It's very sad. But it's a... It's, it's a glorious it's a way out for in him. a beautiful way. Because he he's at the height of his power, right? He is a badass. He pretty much single-handedly rescues Hera. Uh, and then he uses his power to save the rest of the crew um, in something that you could only have thought that he, he knew was coming. Uh, especially after communing with the wolves... Well, I actually will disagree about that. Communing with the, in the force before, you know, meditating and cutting his hair. You know, I think that he knew that his fate was sealed. I, uh, I think this was one of my favorite, despite losing Kanan, was one of my favorite episodes of this season. Um, because we see so much growth for, from Kanan and Hera's characters in such an amazing way in this season, in this episode... Um, which makes the episode all that much sadder. Yeah. But it is still beautiful. Um, I'm getting a little overclamped just thinking about it. <laughs> Very. He's, he's tearing <laughs> up, everybody. He's tearing I up. I kind of am, actually. Uh, very well done. Very well executed. And uh, hats off to Freddie Prince Jr. for an excellent turn as Kanan. Um, and it's too bad that we won't get to see him again. Force ghost. No, he's not a force ghost. He didn't learn the technique, remember? Ezra can go back in time and teach him. <laughs> that, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because our next episode that we selected is A World Between Worlds. Which That's what's called a segue. It is, in <laughs> fact, uh, the episode where Ezra enters the World Between Worlds, which at this point had not fully been established in Star Wars canon. Now, this does call back upon an idea from the Legends canon, I believe, of something called The Ways, which was an old, prior-to-hyperspace way of traveling through the galaxy. Kind of the way the wolves apparently were doing it? Yes. And I think there there's going to be a lot of debate over whether this is truly... Something like this truly belongs in Star Wars, well, right? it's there whether we like it or it's not. It's there whether we like it or not. But but the debate, because we have this debate seemingly constantly now, is whether or not it belongs, right? Whether or not we can accept it and choose to make it part of our understanding of Star Wars. I think that they did it in such a way, especially knowing that it, it really can't be accessed again. Right. I think they did it in such a way... That it was it was handled properly for what it needed to accomplish, and it's not putting too much power in anybody else's pocket. It's also very interesting that the emperor knew about the way bet- the world between worlds was searching for a way to enter it the entire time. That's why the empire was interested in Lothal, right? And why they don't come back after this is 
Right, and Run. why they don't come back, because it, I guess... There's nothing here anymore. Nothing here anymore. I guess we just need to keep our resources and fight the other fight, right? right there's just loath cats and loath wolves and loath bats and loath whales and, and a bunch of spiders. And, and a bunch of shitty people. And loath people. And <laughs> did you notice, loath people. Did you notice they just put loath in front of whatever a thing is because yeah, it's that's from true. Lothal? It's from Lothal, so it's got to be a loath. Right. Can you get some loath milk from the loath cow? I'm sorry, did you just say loaf? I'm, no, I said loath. I need to have a loaf loaf of bread. <laughs> Give me a loaf loaf, please. This what? Is, this is my loaf girlfriend. This is becoming the worst tongue twister of all time. <laughs> um, what did you think, Ben, of the way that they handled the Ahsoka non-death? Because I, I think that there was a part of everybody up until this episode that we, in the back of our head, we probably knew that Ahsoka wasn't actually dead. Well, I'm glad Ahsoka's not dead in canon instead of just in my head. Okay. Um, I don't know if that's... I, I'm really torn here because... And, and we'll talk about this when we talk about the season finale. But Ahsoka still being alive opens a lot of questions for me. Okay. Um... And why would you bring a character, a beloved character like that, back and then not utilize that character? From a storytelling perspective, that troubles me. Because there's 15 years, we just don't know what she's up to. I'm hoping they tell those stories in some medium. I mean, there's the real-world problem that she is not in the original trilogy. Well, right, but it's so a, she cannot be a part of the fight. Well, she can't be a part of that fight, but that's not the only fight. Okay. Well, I just mean it's a big galaxy. The rebellion wasn't just this one cell. Where the Star Wars saga is following the Skywalker family, which happens to belong to this cell of the rebellion, which happens to be the cell that surrounds Rebel Command. But ostensibly, they're commanding other cells. Sure. So she could have been off doing something in another area. She could have been hunting for Ezra that whole time. I don't know what she was doing, but I I would like to know. A sentiment that I got from other fans uh, when when I kind of told them and when they reacted to the episode, they were like, What? Ahsoka's not dead? Well, that's so dumb because that means Darth Vader couldn't kill her and he's weak. It weakens no, him. That's not what and it I'm means like, no, I don't I don't think so. I with the way that they structured it, and it was so smart of Dave Filoni to throw this little touch in there. Big Dave approved. Big Dave approved. She threw the lightsabers into the ground underneath Vader's feet, but it wasn't crumbling fast enough. And with the that action she left herself open to attack. And had it not been for the the thing that no one could have possibly seen coming, Ezra reaching through a hole in time. And grabbing her away. Which, honestly, in that moment, Ezra didn't realize what he was doing either. He was just reaching for the image of Ahsoka out of instinct. Right. He didn't. He thought maybe he was just seeing a vision. Right. But he, no, he actually grabbed her. Vader swings down and hits where Ahsoka, Ahsoka would was. have been. So she was going to die. It's not as if he pulled up. It's not as if he took mercy. He, he was going to make it happen. And but he didn't. It was taken from him. As every other instance, we talked about this off mic, every other instance of Vader being able to put his past to bed has been taken from him. Yes, he can't do it. 
It will continue to haunt him. Except the one the Emperor blames him for, which wasn't his fault. No, it wasn't. She right, just and lost I, the will to live. Ironically, that was the thing he didn't want to do, right? Right. He did not want Padme to die, but she did. And now I'm taking this off of Rebels, but I think it was an interesting thought. Um, obviously, in the sequel trilogy, Snoke has some knowledge of what happened with Vader. And perhaps his insistence that Kylo Ren kill his parents and destroy his past stems from the fact that Vader never had an opportunity to do that with any of his past, as we learn in this episode of Rebels. And perhaps Snoke incorrectly assesses that that's the reason Vader ultimately turned on the Emperor. That that goodness was left in him because he couldn't kill Ahsoka, he couldn't kill young Skywalker, he couldn't kill Obi-Wan. I guess he did kill Obi-Wan, kind of, but Obi-Wan vanished as he swung. Right. Um, and it was the family ties that were left. It was Luke right. that pulled Vader back. So perhaps he just thinks, if we get rid of the family, there's nothing that can pull Ben back. You must kill Harrison Ford while he's still under contract. You must kill Harrison Ford because he told us he had to. <laughs> it is required. Anyway, um, but it's, I, th I think it was handled well for what it was. The other important thing I think we take from this episode is the Mortis gods exist in a way that is not just Obi-Wan and Anakin and Ahsoka got knocked unconscious in a strange area and had a bad dream that they all shared, which is a fan theory that I've seen pushed online regarding the Overlord arc in Clone Wars. Yes, um, and we had talked a little bit about that too. We were like, did the Mortis thing actually happen, or was it just part of the Force speaking to them? And and these beings apparently existed. We even see the owl, which is a manifestation of the daughter, in this episode. Right, they at least existed to a group of people at some point, being depicted as they were on the mural. Right. Um, finally, and this is really just a formality... But we, we did include Family Reunion and Farewell, the final episode of Star Wars Rebels as one of our top five of the season, basically simply because it was the last one. Uh, they did a great job of wrapping up character arcs, of wrapping up stories. I think that an overall character development point for every character, we can go into a little bit of discussion about it after we're done with this real quick, but I, I thought it was interesting that the character that was most invested in the rebellion, right, was Hera. And everyone else was kind of along for the ride. Yep. Zeb does continue to fight with the rebellion after this episode. But the others, granted Kanan is dead and Ezra disappeared, but Sabine, despite having arguably an obligation to the rebellion, chooses not to continue fighting with them. And... It's sort of... And Ezra, despite having an obligation to the Rebellion, in theory, chooses his homeworld over the Rebellion. Kanan chooses his love over the Rebellion. The Rebels, quote-unquote, that we've been following this whole time, most of them wind up pursuing something completely opposite of what they originally intended, or what, what, they, what we originally thought that they were going to do. I think it's either Ezra or Sabine who says we're rebelling against the rebellion 
at some point during the season. I'm trying to remember when that happened. Right before they go to Lethal. It might have actually it might have been Hera now that I think about it. No, because Hera goes back and gets help. Oh yeah. From the rebellion. So Yeah, before they go to Lethal though, someone says we're rebelling against the rebellion. Because they're not listening to Rebel Command, because Rebel Command has said no, you're not going to Lethal. Right. Right. Um what did you think of... Uh, it, it did feel a little bit happily ever after. Well, I, I thought... I didn't like the hand-waving at the end. I mean, obviously, the very last scene where Ahsoka shows up to get Sabine, I enjoyed. Only only assuming... And I hope you're paying attention, Disney. Assuming that it's <laughs> some type of teaser for something I'm going to be able to see in the very near future. Um, like maybe on a streaming service that you want me to pay for. Um... So I enjoyed that, but I did not like the hand wave of, oh, Hera continued to fight with the Rebellion. And, and she, she had even, a kid, by the way. Oh, she had a kid, and uh, she even fought at the Battle of Endor. And, uh, you know, I stayed on Lethal, because it's Sabine talking at the end. I hung out on Lethal, because I thought that's what Ezra wanted. And, you know, Zeb took his new frenemy, his BFF Callus off on a joyride. Well, hang on. Let's not get... I know I'm, I'm not trying to spoil your later discussions. Right. But, you know, just this is what we all did, and uh, it's all good. You know what I mean? It was just okay. I think, I think it served a purpose, though. Like, we all... Instead of making us hang on and wait for that those conclusions later on, they, they showed us what happened. Well, but we knew... We've already we already know that Hera was at the Battle of Scarif. We already know, but we didn't know that she was in the Battle of Endor, and we didn't know she had a kid. Okay, right? Like it, it was cool to see the conclusions of these characters, but there's obviously one big character that we do not know his current fate, and that will be uh, addressed. I hope. I hope. Let's talk about the characters. Okay, Zeb. Oh, Zeb got a lot of Zeb character development. Got a lot this, of character development. As much as he did the previous season and the season. It's been a pretty steady growth for <laughs> Zeb. Um, it's squared each time, I think. What is zero squared? <laughs> no, come it, on. It's been exponential growth for it Zeb the not, whole time. It was not zero growth in the first season. In the first season, he had a lot. Okay, so after that, it was exponential growth. He, yeah. Un- unfortunately, Zeb is absolutely the least served humanoid character but i do love zeb i love zeb but he's set dressing (laughs) yes he is there to crack jokes and inform us of the other characters unfortunately he does it well he does it well but it it, they they could have spent some more time with it i get it he's not the main character of the show of course ezra is of course sabine is but right he's the chewbacca of the ghost right except he can talk right basic Obviously, Chewbacca can talk. Anyway. <laughs> Sheerwook. Uh, I was a little disappointed with how they presented Thrawn in this season. Uh, he man, was a pretty we, we one-dimensional really, villain compared right, to previous seasons. The one that we saw him in. But we just didn't get enough time with him. We got a lot of time with him in season three. I did like the way that they dropped the Krennic thing in. Yes. We're, we're either doing the TIE Defender or we're doing... Krennic's project, which we all know is the Death Star. Right. 
And of course, they wind up choosing Krennic's project. Because, because Kanan puts an end to the TIE Defender project. Right. So isn't that ironic that Kanan's efforts to save everybody wind up resulting in the most terrifying weapon that the galaxy's ever seen? Well, also, he's the most effective person in the Rebellion prior to Luke Skywalker. Maybe. Maybe. The two of them stopped the largest weapons. You've got Luke, Kanan, Lando, <laughs> and Han. That's right. Luke, Kanan, Hondo, and Lon. In Lon in Hondo? Right. L- Lando and Han? Lando and oh, Han. Oh, man, that is Hondo, isn't it? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but they're the people who destroy the mega weapons in Star Wars. True. <coughs> oh, and Poe. Yeah, Poe and we Mamre. get to see Wedge in this season. Uh, we do briefly, very yeah. briefly, but it's nice nod to what he what when we later see him. Yeah, I right. mean, we saw him in season three as well. Yeah, yeah. or was it season two? Could have I, even been as far back as season two. I don't remember. It's just nice to see him in there again. It is cool to see him. It's too bad that Dennis is getting off track, but it's too bad that Dennis Lawson didn't like Star Wars enough to come back for Force Awakens because they were going to put Wedge in the movie. Yeah. And he he declined. He was like, nope, don't want to do it. I'm like, you don't want to do it. What about the payday, man? <laughs> This is Star Wars. We're showing you money. <laughs> We're showing you money. This is Star Wars. This is the role that what, everybody you, knows you, you for. You got Anthony Daniels money. You don't need to show up. <laughs> right. I don't know, man. <laughs> Whatever. Unfortunate. Uh, Callus gets a little bit of growth. Um, he does have that interesting little exchange with Rex about how, oh, I used to be an Imperial officer hunting down this ship, and now I'm in command of it. She put me in charge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, you're yeah, Rex not. is quick to correct yeah, you. You are not in command of this. But he is forgiven by the Lasat for his past transgressions against them, and he, he gets the peace of mind that they are surviving on another homeworld, uh, which I think is big for him now that he's reformed into someone who feels bad for what he's done before. Um, you know, he from that first season where he was relishing and rubbing it in Zeb's face that he killed all of these Lasat warriors. Well, but that was kind of an act to begin with. Right. Because we find out early on that he got the, whatever the Lasat weapon is called, was actually bestowed on him. He didn't take it from a fallen foe. The bow rifle? Yeah. Well, I think it was bestowed upon him after he defeated the warrior. Right, but he didn't murder him and take it. He defeated the warrior, and it was bestowed on him by the warrior. Sure. Where when he tells the story originally in season one, when he's rubbing it in the in uh, Zeb's face, he's talking about how he murdered it and took it off the corpse of this Lasat warrior as a trophy. Right. And that was not the case ever. And, I, I, you know, in the moment... He's probably just trying to get Zeb riled oh, up. Oh, absolutely. I, right. I agree. I just mean it um, much like we learn about Han in Solo. Callus is really a good guy underneath all along. Yes, in a way. From a certain point of view. Ahsoka. This is a big one for you especially, right? Because yeah. she was saved from death, but she chooses not 
to re-enter the fight against the Empire, at well, least as far as we understand. Right, she's not in the original trilogy. And she only resurfaces years later to rejoin with Sabine and seek out Ezra. Now, we may see in the what I hope is an upcoming Sabine and Ahsoka animated series, we may during that see uh, in flashbacks what Ahsoka was doing during that time. I'm assuming she was doing something. I can't imagine she was just hiding um, for all the time from the Battle of Yavin to the Battle of Endor. But she was alive and in the galaxy during that entire period. Right. Uh, My theory is that you... Maybe she was... I don't want to say scared off, but in a way. I mean, she fought Vader. She faced him. She lost. In the back of her mind, she knows she lost. She knows she was a split second from death. Yeah. And... Before that, she realized, she confirmed that it was her former master, Anakin. She pled to him, pled to that side of him to, to let go of this and come back with her, and she would help him, and he rejected it, and violently, to the yep. point where he was ready to murder her. Then, she's pulled out into the world between worlds and confronted with Emperor Palpatine, who unleashes the, you know, the power of the dark side against them and forces them from the world. Yep. After those two encounters back to back, I think it's possible that Ahsoka loses a little bit of the faith. I I just the Ahsoka Tano that told the Jedi Council to fuck off. I just think she's a stronger person than that. I uh, I think she may have gone to uh, Dathomir to learn more. I think she may have studied more on Malkor. She may have been hunting down remnants of the Crimson Dawn. You know, there are a lot of things I can imagine her doing, but curling up in a cave and doing nothing, I just have a hard time imagining that. Maybe she went to an island off of Ireland and just sat there throwing her laser sword (laughs) into the water for no fucking reason. Um, that's apparently a possibility when faced with something. I wonder who you're talking about. <laughs> no, I just, I would like to know what she's doing during that intervening, what, 15-year period when the world is changing I don't know if it's 15 years. It's probably closer to like s- seven-ish. I don't know. But yes, it is a long time. It, it, five, even, between right. four and six. Right. But it, there's time. I want to know what she was doing. And I think we will find out. I hope. Um, If Dave Filoni has his way, I think we'll find out. And it does appear to me he's got a lot of leverage nowadays. We, um, I don't know if you've seen, he's he's got, there are pictures of him with George and uh, John Favreau on the set of The Mandalorian. Well, apparently he's been given a lot of leeway. (laughs) Apparently he's been given a lot of leeway on... uh, Star Wars content for the streaming service. Right, which is great. Yeah, uh, which is amazing. Give it the Big Dave stamp of approval, right? We were talking That's about right. this. That's Big right. Dave approved. Don't let me down, Dave. Hera Syndulla. Uh, this is a big season for her, not just because she's captured and because of the, you know, the major plot points, but because we... I think that she is forced... And I... It sounds weird to say forced, but it's like... 
she is forced to confront her feelings for Kanan in a way that she is just just has not had to before. Well, actually, I think it's a way she couldn't before. I think she's built up so many walls around her to protect herself from all the crap in the world that obviously she's already had these feelings for Kanan because, you know, they well, have right. a kid. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they, they have a kid that clearly must have been conceived in the past. He was conceived with a force. <laughs> or the wolf? I don't know. Thank you, Liam Neeson. Um, but uh, I think Harris just built up this these walls around her because she's had to be the glue that held the ghost together. She's had to be the mother that can't be emotional and has to act. That it wasn't until the Imperial uh, interrogation droid gave her the truth serum that chemically removed those walls that she was able to admit her feelings because that's a vulnerability she couldn't allow herself to have before. Right. So I don't think she was hiding from her feelings. I don't think that... I just think she couldn't allow herself to feel because she didn't have time because Hera is driven. That's a common theme in Star Wars. That's a common theme we see from other characters as well. The, the thing that I find really, really interesting about Hera's arc is that we also learn, while she's under the influence of Imperial Rufies, that... Which wear off really quickly, by the way. Yeah, apparently. Um, But we learn that the reason she is able to do what she does with the level of commitment and determination that she presents is because she knows Kanan will be there for her. And she tells him as much. Um... You know, she she tells Governor Price, you know, Kanan's coming for me. She tells the stormtroopers who are guarding her that they're in trouble. You know, there's no question in her mind that Kanan is going to save her. And that unwavering faith in Kanan is what allows her to commit to the resistance, the rebellion, to fight on Lothal, to take these chances that make her a good leader, that make her an amazing pilot. And while I think that's always been the case, she admits it to not only herself, but to the fir- for the first time, to Kanan. Because before, she's always acted to him like she's dragging him along and he has to go, you know what I mean? That it's this or nothing. And the reality is, if he wasn't there, she couldn't do it. Which makes it even more... Tragic. (laughs) Tragic and impactful in a way that she is forced to kind of pick up the pieces. And again, I use that word forced to kind of pick up the pieces and continue the fight without him. I agree. Um, Sabine reclaimed the honor of the Mandalorians and the honor of her homeworld. And now she's going to go on to murder Boba Fett and reclaim the power of Mandalore for all time. Yes! Uh, (laughs) And embraced the tradition of her people. Yes. But the biggest thing that she did for me in this season was she pulled the George Washington. I agree. She had the chance to achieve power beyond her wildest dreams. 
For those of you who are not familiar with American history. <laughs> right. George Washington was given the opportunity, if he wanted, at the end of the American Revolution, he could have essentially become another king, right? Right. He could have been king of America. He could have been king of America. And could have been president indefinitely. Right. That, or more importantly, after they, you know, probably not king of America, but he would have been president forever if he wanted to be, as long as, until he died, right? right. But no. After his two terms in office, his eight years, he decided that the better thing to do would be to allow someone else to take over and give up the power. And that was a precedent that landed for that lasted for hundreds of years. Right, till FDR. Well, not hundreds. Over a hundred. But not over two. The 1780s to the 1930s? Yeah. I guess you're right. Not over two. Sorry. So hundred of 150, years. 150 years approximately. <laughs> Right? So that's a long time. Sabine does something similar. She wields the Darksaber. She has the symbolic weapon. She destroys the, the weapon she created. She's a major player in this world now. But she has other commitments. And she doesn't think that she's the person to be the, the leader of her people. So and she gives up the power to someone who she feels is more capable. Even even more than that, not only does she give up the power to someone she feels is more capable, Lady Bo-Katan, right? Bo-Katan, yeah. Bo-Katan Kreese. Um, she convinces Lady Bo- Kreese that she can... Because Lady Kreese turns it down the first time the Sabine first offers time, it. The first time, yes. Sabine offers it Im- immediately upon seeing her. She's right. like, this is yours. And she's like, no. No, I don't want... And then Sabine convinces her that she should take it, that she needs to take it. And that she's worthy of it. Right. And I think that that's important, too, because Bo-Katan was influenced by a lot of people, Maul especially, and I think that she beat herself up for that. Right. Um, now I just need to see Sabine and Ahsoka teaming up. As two strong, empowered women kicking ass across the galaxy, <laughs> taking names, finding Ezra Bridger. The other thing, we t- we touched on this before, right? The the idea that she, even though she was a member of the Rebellion and, a, and an important piece of that rebel cell, she decided... And to a leader kind of, of Clan Wren right. and a hero of Mandalore. She abandons all of those things to remain on Lothal and make sure that it stays out of Imperial hands. Right. Because she believes that that is what Ezra was asking her to do. And that bond between them, this is more of a, of a narrative like from the outside world perspective. I do think it is kind of cool and refreshing that... They never turned that into a romantic thing. No, it's it's always kind of a brother-sister brother, sister thing. Well, because it started, hey, much like Luke and Leia, it started, it was. It seemed clear to me that Ezra had like a crush on Sabine at first. Well, who didn't? <laughs> at first, right? Like right. He, he bumps into her and he's like, wow, you know, when she takes off her helmet. And then... She kind of puts him in his place and makes it clear that she doesn't think he's cool and he's just a dumb kid and all this other stuff. But they grow together. They grow up together. And yes, it becomes much more of a familial brother-sister bond. Ezra, or um, when Ezra abandons everybody, not abandons, but when Ezra leaves the crew to go and fight Thrawn on his own, right? Sabine is the one that he trusts to run the distraction for him. Because he knows that Sabine will let him go. 
and let him do well, it. Well, and he doesn't even have to ask her, really. Right. To he, do it. he just makes a motion. They have a relationship very similar to Anakin and Ahsoka. I don't think I can agree with that because Anakin's much more of a. Anakin's like a father figure and a brother put together for Ahsoka. Okay, how about uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin? That's closer. That's closer. Um, I just mean, I'm agreeing with you that brother, sister, they work together as a great team. Right. Um, they just really have that strong bond, and I I appreciate it. And it it, it shows, you know, they're, they're going to hopefully reunite. Um, Kanan Jarrus, Caleb Doom. How interesting, right? The the Jedi Padawan who ran away from his name, ran away from his training, uh, ultimately has to confront his name again, right? Caleb Dune, Doom, his real name. Uh, and he chooses love over the Jedi, right? Right, over the Jedi, over the Rebellion, over Lothal, over, over anything. everything. Anything and everything. And I don't think it's just love for Hera. I think it's love for his crew as well. You know, for for Ezra, for Sabine. Well, I um, I agree. I'm not saying he wouldn't have sacrificed himself if Hera wasn't on that, wasn't on the transport that was leaving. But Hera being there made it a foregone conclusion. There was not. There was no question ever right. at all. No option. Right. Um. Some people have interpreted his eyes returning to their natural state, their natural color, before he died. Some people are interpreting that that, that actually did happen, and that the Force was, giving, was gifting him his sight back for a moment. I didn't really interpret it that way, because that doesn't seem to make much sense as far as Star Wars goes, and what we've seen of the way that physicality works in Star Wars and biology. I feel like... That was more of a symbolic thing for the audience, for the viewer, seeing that happen in the sense that, and the way that Dave Filoni has explained it, he's left it very vague, obviously, because that's who he is. But he, he's explained it as, in that moment, he can see her. Like, he can, he can see Hera again, clearly. Like, and that's who he's focused on, and that's what he's trying to save. And... I think it's more of a visual cue for the audience. I don't think it's him actually getting his eyes back. It, to me, it doesn't matter one way or another. The net result is this episode. The net result is this episode where Kanan gives up everything for Hera because he loves her more than anything else at all. Period. Um... Uh, is there anything more you want to say about Kanan? I mean, a, a great character, a great performance. Uh, um, I, I can say that in the beginning of the season, or of the, the series, Kanan was not my favorite character in Rebels. Because um, I'm not a Jedi fan <laughs> to begin with. But I think Kanan is quickly becoming my second favorite Jedi. Um you know, I, I think he's I think he's a far better Jedi than any canon Jedi that has not fallen that we've seen on screen. Okay. I mean, I, I'm an Anakin fan through and through, so you, that's going to be a hard 
person to unseat as my favorite Jedi, but Kanan really, as his character grew by the end of this season, you know, by the end of this series, he was amazing. And Ezra Bridger, Space Aladdin. Oh, another whiny little orphan shit in Star Wars. <laughs> another whiny little orphan shit. Um, I think that he... You could say he grew, right? Um, yeah. I mean, he. I think that it's un, undeniable that he did. But I mean, from... Yes, he was still trying to save his home world. And that is still a little bit selfish in a way because they there was a larger fight to focus on and he really didn't care about that he just cared about this um which kind of goes back to him being the the more self-focused kid that he was at the beginning but obviously a much different well, take on that well I, I was gonna say i have a slightly different take on that as i think about it and as we talk about this episode um i think it was the force guiding ezra back to lethal that it's not just Ezra being a selfish little shit, but Lothal was the key to the worlds between the world between worlds. Yeah. And the Force did not want the Emperor getting its hands on that. And light side or dark side, and because the Mortis gods themselves were reflected. You mentioned something to me off mic about how you thought that Ezra was not the one that you think was meant to access the world. Oh, I, well, the wolves earlier in the season, um, they called to Caleb. I mean, they spoke to Ezra, or not spoke to Ezra, but they manifested to Ezra. But when they were running in the cave, running from the Imperial bombardment, um, the wolves would not lead them further until Caleb Doom, Kanan Joris, stepped forward. And they were trying to lead Kanan. And they were talking to Kanan. And I think ultimately... Kanan's destiny was to take the role that Ezra ended up taking at the end, but Kanan chose to sacrifice himself to save Hera, and that meant that the Force had to then turn to use Ezra. I I don't agree with that um, interpretation, because I think that what the wolves were trying to convey to Kanan was that it was his his destiny was to die. Okay. And it's after his death. Piss that, off, low wolves. Yes, that they that they lead Ezra to the world between worlds. And the reason why I feel that that's the case is because of Ezra's established connection with wildlife and with nature. Well, that could be. Um, since the first season, he's had a very strong connection with right with, with the wolf cat, natural creatures, wolf cats with the shadow bat and animal thingies, especially on Lothal. Right. Um, so the fact that he was able to communicate with the wolves so easily, relatively easily, made made a lot of sense to me. And uh, I think he was the one, especially since the wolves are the ones that led him to the door, I think he was the one who was meant to do that. Okay. Um, speaking of Ezra interacting with wildlife, wow. His, his use of the Force... To influence and call the the um, the Purgles. Well, he sent uh, Mark to get the Purgles. He sent Mark to get the Purgles, but they knew what they needed to do when when they got there. when they got the message. And when they got there, the fact that Ezra was able to use his wild empathy, if you will, 
I to won- reach out to them, get them to take that Star Destroyer away. I wonder if Thrawn will make an appearance in the uh, hunt for Ezra. I think he has to. That was the other thing I was going to bring up. Ezra did not kill Thrawn. No. And, and Dave Filoni has made it expressly clear that Thrawn and Ezra are both alive on the other side of whatever they come to. Okay. So maybe they have to depend on each other to survive? Kind of like a Zeb and Callus situation? <clears throat> yes. You all right there, Zach? <laughs> I'm, I'm fine. I not. I don't think it made too much loud, too loud of a noise. I did knock the microphone <laughs> off, and I'm not going to edit that out. So no, don't leave that in there. I'm not. Um, that's conventions, folks. Sometimes he knocks stuff off the table. Sometimes it's accidental. Thrawn and Ezra being off the table of the of the war well, that th- also had to happen. Right, they had to take them out. Otherwise, I it would be easier, I think, to explain away Ezra. But you couldn't explain away Thrawn. Thrawn. It already was a little bit weird that Thrawn, this greatest Grand Admiral Thrawn, showed up after the original trilogy, right? Like, the idea that that character never would have shown up in the original trilogy when they would have needed him most? Yeah, and the the idea that now he was there before the Battle of Yavin and didn't show up to do anything? Right. That's the guy they would have had defending the Death Star. Exactly. Because, again, he's an inhuman who's a Grand Admiral in the Imperial Navy. (laughs) That's a big deal. That's huge. That's a big deal. It's, yeah. Ben, where would you say this season ranks on your Star Wars meter (laughs) for, for the, I guess let's just look at Rebels. For Rebels, I think... With the exception of the finale, I think as a whole, this is probably the strongest season of Rebels, but I would say it's the second strongest final arc. Okay. Does that... Yeah. Do you agree? Um, I don't think I can say it's the strongest season of Rebels. Ah, I, uh, that's really hard. Well, because, I mean, you got Jor- uh, Kanan dying. That's huge. You've got I love, Sabine stuff. But I love the second season. Oh, I do, too. I love it. That sh- the show really came into its own in that second season. And you can. it's probably just because they pushed the nostalgia buttons with Vader and uh, and the other characters they're able to work in. I, I mean, that's the best. That's the best final episode that's the best finale in animated star wars right now ever yeah might be one of the best star Wars. it's the best star wars thing one of the best star wars things ever made twilight twilight of the apprentice is a beautiful it's amazing beautiful construction it's incredible so obviously that's the best finale right but i also i look back on it and i think that that's my favorite season okay i can give you that i I love seeing Vader on screen, and I love seeing Ahsoka on screen, um, and I think that was a good season, but for the Rebels characters, I just think this was the best season for them. This was sure. Theirs. And, you know, they're both really strong seasons, but... That's fair enough. Um, now that Rebels is over, I know that we're getting more Clone Wars. Right. But from what we have of Clone Wars so far to Star Wars Rebels. Which do you think is the superior show? Ooh. That's a really tough call. 
Um, we don't have to talk about it right now if you don't want to. Well, I, I, we didn't talk about that ahead of time at all before right. we started. Well, this. I don't. I don't know. I I love the Anakin character so much in Clone Wars. I really do. And the Anakin Ahsoka relationship and the play between that and the Anakin uh, Rex and Anakin Obi Wan. Uh, you know, as great as Rebels is, I still think I like Clone Wars better. Um, but, and I will say this definitively, I think the episodes of Clone Wars going for, uh, forward are going to be so much better because of how good Rebels was. Yes, I agree. Um, because you've given Dave now time to work with his craft a little more. Um time to explore I think kind of what what the fans expect and what the fans want and balance out it's almost like the films have always been with the exception of maybe Force Awakens the films have always had their own direction their own lodestone of this is the story that we are telling whether you like it or not right the shows I can't say have been that same way I think that the shows have struck a little bit of a balance between the story that they want to tell and the stuff that they know people want to see. Well, and, and most importantly, and I think this is the one of the biggest things moving forward, not only does the animation studio ha obviously have its shit together and the story group does a really fabulous job and have their shit together, but they have um, earned enough goodwill with the fandom that they can take the risks that the movies want to and we will ride that out because we now trust Dave Filoni. Absolutely. Big and, Dave approved. And I think that that's a big thing for this franchise and the, particularly Star Wars animation moving forward is it has that trust that it can be carried on from this point where the fans are going to give it a little more leeway then. Let's face it, for good or ill, um, the next to last Jedi... <laughs> or whatever they call this Star Wars movie. Uh, turns out, not The Last Jedi. <laughs> right, right. Star Wars Episode Nine, The Last Sith? I don't know. But Episode Nine is going to be looked over by fans in general. Um, very much it's under the microscope. Uh, because of the uh, strong reactions to Episode Eight. And I don't think you're going to have that same level of scrutiny on Star Wars animation because that creative team has earned trust with the fans in, in every aspect, in a way the movies don't. Because right. the hardcore fans love them. The casual fans who just enjoy the show like them. Um, they're staying true to the, I don't want to say source material, but the characters as they are so far. And... Uh, um, let's be honest. I'm sitting here saying I can't see Ahsoka just sitting around for those five years. But I'm saying I want to see the story. I, ostensibly, you have the exact same situation you have with Luke. Right. And, and I acknowledge that. You have the same situation. The difference is I'm willing to give Dave Filoni the benefit of the doubt. And I don't... You know what I mean? With the, the movie franchise team so far, they haven't earned that benefit of the doubt for me. Which is why I'm so, um, I, I'm more betrayed by that than I am by this. Even though I still want to know what the hell happened, 
does that make any sense? Absolutely. Well, it's the same thing. Like, like I confessed with Solo. Right. right. I'm I'm more willing to put up with the bullshit in a way, if you will, from the saga films because I hold them on a pedestal. See, and I'm less willing to put up with the bullshit for the same reason. Right. <laughs> we all have our different concessions we got to make. Right. That's right. Well, Ben, I think that's going to wrap it up. For this episode, anyway. For this episode, anyway. Uh, when we join you in two weeks, we're going to dig into something that I've been very excited to talk about for a couple of uh, months now. Yeah. And that is Star Wars, or should I say Lego Star Wars, The Freemaker Adventures. If you have not seen anything about this show, if you have not seen, any, seen this show at all, I highly recommend that you check out the first season of Lego Star Wars The Freemaker Adventures. It is available completely for free, I believe, on the Lego YouTube channel. Yes. I don't know if it's the Lego YouTube channel, but it is all on YouTube it's for all free. on YouTube. And I actually just looked the other day. It still is all there for free. Yes, the whole thing. So there are no As excuses. yesterday. There are no excuses. You don't have to pay anything for it. You could just go on and watch it, enjoy it. And it's a fun show for kids, so it's on YouTube. You can watch it at double speed half the time. Family family friendly. Yep. A lot of heart, and we'll be talking about it both season one and season two and, in two weeks. And I've confessed this off mic, but I'm going to say this now as a teaser. Um, I know that Freemaker Adventures is canon adjacent. Right. It's It doesn't technically count. But watching Freemakers really changed my perspective on Star Wars as a whole in a big way, which I'm sure Zach will make me talk about in two weeks. I, I will. I just got to say, this is one of the biggest moments that we'll ever have on this show. <laughs> I don't know if it's that big. Oh, it's pretty big. But so, it's one of the biggest changes of my mind I've ever had. Yes. You've got to be here for this. Two weeks. Until then, Ben, may the Force be with you. And also with you, Zach. This has been a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com. <laughs>